All right, Wynne, how are you feeling? So this is uh, our podcast episode five, I believe. I don't, something. It's very interesting because Wynne came in here this morning in fury. The Colombian in you was extremely present, I would say, which kind of led us to the topic of today, which is, should we call it, I don't want to call it fuck the system as much as I want to call it. No, we can say that. Fuck the system? Yeah, like anger is a healthy emotion. We're going to say that right now. Yeah. It's pretty bad. So what is it that we're talking about when we say fuck the system? Uh, What we're talking about is a system that is not designed to help people feel safe or stable or uh, um, clear-minded or in a space of understanding or regulated. It is a system of nervous system dysregulation. So that... Putting that like on a macro level, what is the specific system that we are going to discuss today? Uh, well, I think we should talk about providers in mental health, which yeah. is what we all do and who we teach to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one thing that we were talking about, like there are other episodes and like video clips here and there with you and Griffin where you guys talk about how you met and how you started this business, but why is Build Your Practice even necessary? So uh, I just said this to you and Amy, like right before we turn the microphones on, that to me, Build Your Practice is, I I don't want to say necessary evil, but I think that's sort of like the common language that we use. Um, if, if I could have it my way, I would live in a world where we don't need Build Your Practice. Mm -hmm. But we started Build Your Practice because I think we're both entrepreneurial, but it's driven from a need, uh, which is stemming from a very broken healthcare system. And so Build Your Practice was born from trying to save providers from leaving the system. And, and I don't think a lot of people know this, but more people are leaving the system of mental health care right now than are coming into it, mm-hmm. which is, like, really not good considering that there's an epidemic yeah, on several I mean, fronts. Right, right and we also see research that shows that uh, mental health is definitely on the decline. Suicide rates are increasing. Anxiety is through the roof at all age levels. Addiction, Addiction overdose, yeah. gun violence. yeah. Yeah, it's not good. So there is a greater need, an increased need for mental health care. And at the same time, there is a negative curve of mental health providers. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's it's two lines going like this. So yeah. this line is the amount of people who are reaching out and wanting to access services. And this is the number of people who are available to provide those services. And that's, I was just reading over the weekend, that psychiatry, counselors, people in staff and tech support. I mean, it's like, it's it's so bad. It's so bad. Oh, my God, it's so bad. Yeah. I'm particularly fired up about it today. <laughs> like, I am, do you, I'm like feeling rage. Do you right want to share why you're particularly fired up today? What well, happened? I mean, it's this sort of like multi-circle Venn diagram of, you know, self-employment taxes and what it means to be in small business and entrepreneurial and what that means in terms of cost 
and the circle of having to pay for health insurance, what that health insurance actually provides after you pay into these premiums, what you actually get is the benefits for it, which is like nothing. Another circle is, you know, what it what actually has to happen in order to be a successful entrepreneur and make all of those circles work and the numbers work and then who in our population can have access to you as a provider in order to sustain the economic need um you know and then just uh, just like the overwhelming domino effect of of fuckery that it it is becoming and it and it's just like it's so bad for our population health that when you have an entire system that puts people into a state of stress trying to navigate it what does that do when we're all under this umbrella of not feeling psychologically safe mm-hmm. like we don't know if we're going to get taken care of yeah like we, we we don't know and then on top of it you know the providers that we work with at build your practice who log on to these individual calls and group calls and they're saying things like, I submitted, um, you know, this claim for this client and I saw them for X amount of sessions and I should be paid, you know, $1,000, $2,000 or whatever it is for work I've already done. And the insurance company comes back and says no. Yeah. And you're like, well, now what? You know, I, I hand this off to the client who's already, you know, struggling with either anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, addiction, whatever it is. And then you're like, oh, by the way, here's this $2,000 bill because your insurance company won't pay for it. I'm not going to be liable for that work. Like, someone's responsible for it. And so you're just like, and then what does that do to the patient-provider relationship? Mm. It totally derails trust, you know? So what do you think? Oh, my God, give me a knife. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so bad. Oh, but so what do you think? I think, like, so I am not. Uh... And I said something, not someone. So anyway. That's right. Uh, I'm not a mental health clinician, so I'm like observing this from the outside, so to speak. And I, I ha- like, it's very clear to me that there is in the mental health educational field, there is very much this glorification of like being this altruistic, self sacrificing, I'm doing this work because it's a higher calling out of the goodness of my heart. I want to help other people, kind of thing. Uh, which brings a lot of shame to the table when it comes to actually getting paid. Like a lot of the clinicians that we work with and build your practice have a very complicated relationship to money and actually charging accurately and appropriately and fairly for their services, right? So there is like a whole cultural um, like system that that the clinicians are kind of like, fostered into and funneled through uh, and then at the same time we have the whole insurance system which is you know like that's kind of the system that we want to like fuck over I guess uh, where burn it to the ground burn it to the ground <laughs> like seriously god <laughs> to quote a very dear fireman of ours yes. burn it burn it to the ground um but so what I'm wondering is like a couple of things. One, what comes first? Is it like, is this, is this like therapy, the therapeutic educational system? Is that embracing this cultural of uh, that you shouldn't do this work for money as a result of the lack of financial support that is in place on a societal and a, 
level or is it like the other way around because if we look at other healing professions such as like if you're a doctor if you're a surgeon you're like a borderline fucking god and you get well paid you're doing similar work like you're saving people's lives it's just different parts of Mm -hmm. people right like why are we you know i don't want to say the word worshiping but why are we having such respect for the medical field to the point where we actually ensure that people in that field overall get paid and like well paid but when it comes to the mental health field it's supposed to be this self-sacrificing if you you should just be willing to help people without like having the financial stability for yourself like what comes first in all of this well i mean first thing that's coming to my mind is you know, the friends that I have that are providers in medicine, and I'm thinking of quite a few of them, um, who are well paid, will tell you that that is really the only benefit to the work that they do. Because even on the provider side, the system of medicine and healthcare is deteriorating so rapidly that they're also struggling with burnout. Mm. And what we know about doctors is that rates of addiction are increasing. Um, They're one of the most suicide-prone, death-by-suicide-prone, or ideation-prone. High divorce rates, too, High, high divorce rates. I mean, uh, you know, like I already said, drug use. I mean, it's it's like, you know, there's money there, but... They're they're also they're also at their wits end. You yeah. Know? So their mental health is declining too. Yeah, their mental that, health yeah. is horrible. Yeah. I mean, I really worry about. There are like a couple of faces that are kind of going through my like personal life rolodex right now, and and I I worry about these people. I kind of hold them in in a space in my heart because I'm like I I I don't think that they're doing well. I know mm. that they're not doing well. So. Um, but you know, and, but, and at the same time, at least there's, there's some kind of exchange, whereas in our field, it's like, good luck. Like you're, you're not even going to get that. It's so interesting because I sometimes read on like our social media accounts, people who are spewing out comments like you should be ashamed of yourself for like wanting to charge a hundred dollars for a session. Like there is a lot. Don't um, even get me started on that. Okay. Yes, please do. I do want to get you started on <laughs> okay, that. Okay, so $100 a session, the reality of that is like that's your initial nut. And then what comes out of that are all of your operating expenses for your business. So that's you know, malpractice insurance. And if you have a brick-and-mortar business, you've got all of your utilities. You've got your rent to pay. You've got business owner policies so that you're held safe from any kind of like physical liability in the building. Whatever else goes along with paying for a business, which my brain's like, okay, you need toilet paper, you need paper towels. There's so much, right? Yeah. Uh, apps, website. Okay, so 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 you pay that nut out of that hundred dollars, which you know can be anywhere from depending on how lean your business is, anywhere from twenty to forty percent plus yeah. of that hundred dollars. So now you're down to what, like eighty, sixty bucks an hour, and then through self-employment. 30% of that is going to come from that. So that's what your take-home pay is. Yeah. And then you have to pay for health insurance. Yes. You have to pay for your paid time <gasps> off. Yes. If you have a child, oh, well, you then you're fucked. someone. Yeah. Well, also, you need to take leave to, you know, stay at home with your child for a period of time. Of course, in this country, that is not supported at all. So, you know, as women, we basically have to go back to work while our vaginas are still <laughs> swollen like a watermelon. <laughs> It's 
so true. It's you so better sad. not edit this out. This is an important line. I know people are disturbed by it, but it's true. I know. Yeah. yeah. When I was six <laughs> weeks postpartum, my nipples were still bleeding. If someone would have asked me to go back to work, like, it's... I, don't get me started on that. No, um, totally. But so there is so much that goes into, and I mean, $100 per session ends up not really being a lot of money. No, $100 you know? per session can end up being, you know, $50, $40, $35 per session on top of six-figure student loans plus supervision costs plus getting licensed plus licensed maintenance. It's plus like, you have to continuously, you have to continue to educate yourself to, to throughout to your practice. Your license. Yeah. The system of education in this country right now for providers in mental health is a system of poverty, which yeah. is the greatest irony of all. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so fucking mad today. <laughs> I, I am it. like the I angriest I've been in a really long time. I love it. Yeah. But so anyway, to, to yeah. like circle back to my question, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Like is, oh. is it, so I'm like, I'm trying to kind of funnel this down to kind of um, a micro level. So if you look at a relationship between two people, right, and how dynamics can play out in that relationship. So let's say that the relationship is not very healthy. What tends to happen, and I'm simplifying this a lot, but what tends to happen is that there is a normalization process, right, happening. So, like, it's not like you go from healthy to deeply violent and abusive overnight. It's a normalization process that happens in steps. And with each step, you're pushing the boundaries a little bit, right? And you're normalizing the new boundary a little bit. And as the victim part in that relationship, you start making excuses for it, you adapt to it, you accept it, and then the next push happens and the boundary is pushed a little bit further and so on, right? So if I compare that kind of dynamics to what's going on on a macro level with the insurance companies and the educational system for mental health uh, professionals, could it be that it's a similar thing that has happened historically, that there has been like a normalization process to the point, like, to the point where we are at now, where it's like in the educational field, there is this preach of like, do this because you want to help people, not because you want to make money. But it's really a result of that there was like the money was never there to begin with. Like the insurance companies are keeping the money. I mean, that's where the money goes, right? Like who, where did the money lead? Where does the money lead to the insurance companies? So the first thing that I would call that is Stockholm syndrome, which is the yeah. irony, but it's like we, we have Stockholm syndromed providers in mental health to believe in this, I think he used the word altruism earlier. Yeah. Oh, this whole like, oh, I have to do this and this is my sort of like social duty, which is great, but like, how do you pay your bills? And what does it do to a provider who's going into work to care for people who are trying not to kill themselves, you know, overdose on drugs, beat someone up, pick up a gun and shoot someone? Like, let's look at what the reality is of the United States right now. And then walk out of the office being totally scared and not sleeping at night because they don't know how they're, they're going to pay their bills, yeah. right? And I believe that a lot of this happened because, and this is where we're going to go to a very big buzzword right now. I almost don't want to say it because it kind of like bothers me a little bit as a boy mom, but the patriarchy, right? Mm -hmm. Which is 
And I wish we had a different word for it because I feel like that's so like finger pointy at it's like men are bad. I don't believe that men are bad, but I believe what happened is that this field was founded on the backs of women, right? And so what do we know about women is that we're paid less on the dollar than anybody else does. We're overgivers. We're I don't want to say we're overachievers, but but we we devalue ourselves, and I believe that that's been sort of that like long the long, longitudinal Stockholm syndrome that has occurred. Well, it's also I mean it's a well known fact that women for a very very long period of time was one hundred percent dependent on uh, men for just the basic, you know, having the basic um, needs provided for. So we, for a very long time, were financially dependent on men completely, right? And a lot of women still are, frankly. But the other thing I was thinking about was, oh my God, what was it that you were saying? You were saying, well, you were talking about that we are, that women are givers and nurturers and all these things. It is also a well-known fact that women are the ones who are, pulling the big load when it comes to emotional emotional labor in workplaces in relationships with parents kids husbands you know spouses like women carry a huge emotional uh load in society Mm -hmm. and it's undervalued like that work is undervalued which is so ironic because when you turn to the nervous system, like I'm in love with the nervous system and I want to marry it. Like if I'm going to marry anyone, I'm going to marry the nervous system because I feel like it is the most amazing. It's like the roadmap to everything, right? Like if you have a problem and you go to what we know about the nervous system and you apply that logic in terms of like human psychology and health, it's all right there. Right? Yeah. But we just ignore it. Yeah, just gonna ignore it. But what we know about the nervous system is like everything happens in the limbic system, Mm -hmm. right? So like if the limbic system isn't right, nothing's right. Like the autonomic nervous system dysregulates the way we think, dysregulates the decisions that we make, skew. Like nothing works. Mm. But we live in a culture that poo-poo's the emotional self and looks at it as lesser than and if you have feelings there's something wrong with you mm-hmm. i.e. why do veterans struggle to help seek because help seeking means you have to look at your emotional state can't do that right that means you're weak <laughs> well guess what that's where all the change happens right yeah. like you go to that place and that's how you reduce suicidal ideation substance use uh, gun violence, you increase, you know, efficacy and outcomes, positive outcomes in education or in in business and entrepreneurship and in social health. But it's like, we, we're just like, what, what, what? Like, emotions? What emotions? It's like everything happens through emotions. Everything. Actually, so that, that segues me into my next, we were talking about this earlier, how the more old school, traditional medical view is that the body and the brain or like the body and the mind rather are separate silos i'm just i just want you to know as you're sitting here i just like oh, this old podcast i just want to bang my head on the table <laughs> yes yep let's separate that well too. do bang your head on the table maybe it will go viral okay um but but whereas what we know now from from modern research um and through the likes of like Dr. Gabor Mate, et cetera, um, is that the mind and the body is intrinsically intertwined and interdependent. That's not modern, but continue. I know it's not modern yeah. because I know that there's, it's become 
We're bringing it back. Yeah, up. We're right. Like the, the research has happened a long time ago, but like it's actually getting some attention now. But what did we think? I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but I guess my my thought is that there is something that applies to that. Like we're still so highly regarding the medical field and no no shade on the medical field. Like that's important. But like if I break my leg, I'm going to go to the doctor and I'm going to have it taken care of. And it's going to, you know, I'm not going to hesitate. I'm not going to sit at home and be like, I think maybe I'll just suck it up. It's going to be fine. Well, except for like the men I date. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but like you won't, right? Like if you have a heart attack, you're not going to just sit at home and and hope that it's going to pass or that you can think your way through it. I'm going to think my way through this heart attack. Unless you don't have health insurance. Well, then you don't have a choice. Right, right. But anyway, I see. Where but you're the but why is it like we're so geared as a population towards the medical, the the physical, when there is a direct connection to the emotional? We know that long term emotional stress causes tons and tons of physical symptoms. Like you gave me this one example once that I think is very interesting and that I've read about as well, um, that a lot of people who have these more kind of like women diseases, as they like to call it, like fibromyalgia, MS and similar, have a very strong correlation to sexual abuse in the past, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Yep. I see that a lot at work. Yeah. A lot. And there are, like, endless examples of how, like, there, there, there is research that shows that there is a correlation between breast cancer and repressed anger. Yep. Yep. Um, <clears throat> I mean, so I've been working in ketamine-assisted psychotherapy now, something called KAP, for almost a year, which is so crazy because time is going so quickly, but... There are more and more providers in medicine in this area. Um, you know, and, and the thing that's so scary is, like, we are in an area we, where we have some of the best medicine in the country. Like, we're outside of Philadelphia. Mm. More providers in medicine per capita come from the city of Philadelphia than anywhere else yeah. in the country. So we make the most doctors okay. per capita. So, um, you know... People are sort of like, the word is getting out that this is, it's psychedelic adjacent, right? Like it's a psychedelic type therapy. Ketamine isn't necessarily a psychedelic, but it has an effect on the brain and the body that can elicit some of the similar experiences of things like, um, you know, LSD, psilocybin, MDMA. So you kind of like disconnect from reality a little bit. You disconnect from the body a little bit and you're able to kind of transcend the subconscious and, and visit new ideas or revisit old stuff Mm -hmm. that hasn't been processed. So one of the things that's um, tending to happen as a result of this therapy starting to really push into even a fringe space is that we're getting referrals from providers who are, um, you know, they're, they're sending us um, they're like wits end cases, right? Yeah. So they've had these people that are coming in and they're chronic pain, fibromyalgia, um, you know, I'm trying to think of other, um, you know, endometriosis. Yeah, IBS, endometriosis, any of that stuff. 
And, you know, they've done everything that they, chronic, chronic migraines, um, all kinds of weird stuff that's showing up in the body. And they're like, we've done everything. Like, we have done everything medically. We've done everything that we can psychiatrically. And these people, which is really interesting, it's mostly women. Yeah. Are showing up with these physical presentations, but they're not able to really make any kind, they're not able to push the envelope. And I don't know, they hear about us and they hear about Wyndon the trauma therapist and John the ketamine doctor, and they end up in our clinic. And I'm not kidding you, like with God as my witness and, and hand on my children's lives, you know, these people are showing up and in, you know, anywhere from like seven to uh, nine weeks of treatment, depending on how they move through the process, we're seeing sometimes, you know, 90 to 100 percent symptom reduction. And maybe that doesn't sustain for forever. They've got to come back in and do some maintenance work around it. But I that's mean, incredible. Yeah, like there's some like really weird, like miracle level stuff that's going on. But because I believe what's going on is that we have a provider in medicine and a provider in mental health. And, and both are, like, very trauma-aware. Like, Dr. Yeah. Dr. John Doherty will say, he'll be like, um, he'll be like, I know, I know, it's trauma. But it is, you yeah. know. And so we go in and we do the work. And what happens is, I mean, I just have these, like, cases kind of, like, throat floating through my brain right now where I, it's, like, it's totally bizarre. It's, I've said this so many times. It's, like, seeing how we can see, like, the before and after of the combat yeah. veteran, like, the before picture. They yeah. look, like, look we, young and fresh. Like, we don't under the fluorescent <laughs> lights. And then the after is, like, we look under these fluorescent yeah. lights, you know? Like, there's just this, like, gaunt emptiness. Yeah. It's the reverse. Yeah. So we have these people that come in, and it's, like, there's just this they gaunt. They get life back in them. Yeah, and yeah. they restore. Yeah. Because there isn't any question around the mind and the body we're like inextricably linked totally like it there's no they're not mutually exclusive you know what I mean they're like they work together in collaboration at all times so we work in that system yeah. and yeah it's crazy it's really cool but so I am what what would happen like what do we think would happen this is obviously just like speculation and not science that we're talking about now but I'm thinking if we could apply that on a a societal level like if the medical system could be well integrated with the mental health system and there would be fair and reasonable compensation like ideally where I come from this is not that much of a problem like we have mental health problems in the country that I'm from too but we have access to health care free health care you know like people can get the help that they need What's people can like? feel safe it's amazing. Tell I don't us, know why I live tell here. Tell us your fairy tale. <laughs> <laughs> it's like utopia. No, but it's like, I mean, ideally, the pop everyone in the population would have access to mental health services when they need it, and they would have access to it for free or at a very low cost. And at the same time, the mental health provider would be sufficiently compensated. Because let's face it, what you guys do is literally saving lives and it's not just saving lives of the individual client that you see it's also the ripple effect outside of that client because you have one person in a family system who's deeply suicidal and deeply traumatized and it manifests in all sorts of physical and emotional ways bringing unsafety to the entire group around them 
you heal the person, that person heals, it has an immediate ripple effect on the people around them. Oh, my God. I mean, I talked about this in another podcast. Like, as I've gotten stronger and better and healthier and more self-aware and self-confident and self-loving and you know, letting go of that part of me that feels like I have to run and and help everybody else first. Like that was my conditioning, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, and I've learned to pause and say, am I okay? Am I grounded enough? Am I not? Okay, then what do I need to do to get there and then re-engage? You know, my whole experience as being a parent is like this dynamic it's been a total 180 and my kids will tell you that like we totally relate to each other differently now because they have a mom who's like not in survival mode right you know yeah and there's a big ass difference right there yeah and the thing that's so cool about it is I think people think like this is why I'm like hashtag trauma heals you know it's like it's it's like healing happens like they sure they've got their stuff they're gonna have to work through but like we're all gonna have that but it's like the intensity of that has decreased because it's like a it's like a stable, safe environment now that I mean, walk through. They're like that's how it is for everybody outside of me. Two things I love to tell people is my dad was in the Air Force and uh, Oh you wait, wait. I'm sorry. You like to share that your dad was in the Air Force? Yeah. The Kern my was dad, in the Air Force. That's dad, so shocking. My dad was in the Air Force. Um so it's my, maybe, I may I don't think I hear you say anything else more often than <laughs> my, dad. my dad was in the Air Force. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I love your dad. I think he's such a badass. Yeah, but, he is. Um, yeah, I mean, my dad was like, it's like Tom Cruise was my dad. But anyway, but cooler and taller. And not in a cult. Y- yeah. No. <laughs> not at all. But um, so, sorry, Tom Cruise. But anyway, um, the other thing is my sister lives in Switzerland. Uh-huh. And I love this example because people are like Switzerland's homogenous and it's small so yeah they can have health and it's like no that's actually not it's not about volume well what we know at Build Your Practice you can scale anything yeah anything is scalable so guess what healthcare is scalable like we've scaled healthcare in this country but we've scaled shitty healthcare right Mm -hmm. Switzerland has scaled healthy healthcare we have scaled shootings in this country very very successfully so there, I said it. so true. Oh, my God. Anyway, so, God, I'm so glad I'm American. But anyway, um, you know, and I love to talk about what I've learned by watching the Swiss culture. You know, I think my brother-in-law and sister have been married for, uh, like, 17 years or something, which is crazy. But... I believe that one of the reasons why the Swiss are healthier and why they have a healthier economy even outside of the Swiss banking system where you can hide your money is because it's a, it's a psychologically safe country. Yeah. If something bad happens to you, you know you will be able to mm-hmm. get help. Mm-hmm. Right? So everything that I'm feeling in terms of rage and anger and wanting to burn everything mm-hmm. to the ground today is it's like that's not good for me but it's the reality of trying to figure out how to navigate this system where in a lot of ways I was better off being more poor than I am now as someone who's driving towards success because it costs so much flipping money to be a part of this system with no return Mm. like I'm paying these crazy premiums in this year ahead 
for myself and my two children, who, by the way, I'm also paying more on because they went out into the world and earned more than $25,000 a piece as young men. And so they've now sort of graduated themselves out of certain like certain accessibility that I would have to them in terms of tax yeah. credits, right? All this stuff. It's like, wait, what? So like being dependent and not functional is... No wonder people want to be a Republican. You know what I mean? Like in terms of that, in terms of that piece of it. Like I get it. I'm making a joke. I'm like, I guess I'm a Republican now, but I'm not a Republican. Yeah. It's like, but I understand why people get so fed up and frustrated. You, you said something that that um, popped out to me, and that was in Switzerland that they get the help if something bad happens. They get the support of a system to keep them safe. Here's the other aspect of that. They don't only get help when something bad happens. A lot of countries in Europe, including Switzerland, including Sweden, where I'm from, we get help when something good happens. So for instance, and I'm going to try to not rant about this, but for instance, when you have, and we touched upon this earlier, when you have a child in the U.S., you are fucked. Like, you're absolutely fucked. You either have to choose between your career or your child, or if you want to do both, you have to leave your child with someone else at six weeks to three months. There is no federal parental leave stated in the U.S. It's up to each and every company that you're employed with. This is in itself absolutely fucked up. But it's not just about parental leave. It's everything like leading up to it, like throughout the pregnancy. I can't even imagine what it would be like to be pregnant in this country, not knowing if I can afford the care. Like if something goes wrong, can I afford this care? Like it's supposed to be, and I'm assuming that this is for a person who actually has chosen to get pregnant, not someone, like, let's not even get into oh, the God. alternative. Keep me out of that rabbit hole. Yeah, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to like lose my fucking mind. <laughs> There's going to be a whole Yeah, yeah, we can't do that. <laughs> can't do that. Uh, but my point is just that it's they're not just like it's not just about when trauma happens and bad shit happens it's also like we need to feel safe always we need to feel safe through good life events such as having children as well and get the help that we need in order to maintain that sense of safety um and that just doesn't exist here it just does not exist. And there is this kind of, I don't know, and I say this as a foreigner kind of looking in, but there is this kind of mentality that it's every man for himself. And if you can't do it on your own, then it's fuck you. Like, too bad. You were too weak, too ugly, too fat. Like, whatever. Like, it's your fault that your health is declining and that you're depressed or anxious or suicidal or having an addiction or whatever it is. And yet, at the same time, we are expected to kind of like collectively, collectively figure things out through like fucking fundraisers and shit like that. There is no system in place that actually supports not just the individual, but the population as a whole. Oh, yeah. So I have a master's degree in something called community and trauma counseling. It's the only one in the country, right? So I have a master's in community and I have a master's in trauma counseling, essentially. And really, you know, if we were going to rename it, I would say, like, it's a master's in systemic health is really what mm. it is, like systemic population mm -hmm. health. Um, you know, that community piece, I remember going through graduate school, and I was like, what? what is, why is this word attached to my degree? Like, I, I really didn't get it for a while. 
And then actually I went into business for myself and I was like, oh, I get it. I understand the community piece, which is, you know, systems that are designed by way of collaboration and contribution are systems that thrive, right? Like Mm. if you're you're, um, an entrepreneur, a business owner, and you're going to hire someone into your business, and you want them to be a contributor and you want them to be creative and you want them to help excel and expand the direction of the organization that you've created, right? Do you want that person to be deeply stressed out, unwell, up at night tossing and turning, anxious, uncomfortable with physical body ailments? Or do you want someone to come into your organization that is you know, strong and self-assured and able to be in a clear mind and think well and, and create, right? It's like we all know the answer to yeah. that. And then what is, what's the impact of that? That has a positive impact on the health of your system, right? Yeah. That's why I go to the, the example of Switzerland. It's like, well, you go to Switzerland. Anybody who's ever been there, you, it's like, I swear to God, it's like, you feel like you're like huffing pure oxygen and there's like cool music running on in the background all the time. You're just like, oh, it's like this dream place. It's and like a ketamine. Yeah, it's like a ketamine Chron- Chronic oh, yeah. ketamine. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you're just like, wow, I can't believe I'm actually on the planet Earth right mm. now. But that's what happens when you have a community and a community that is founded on safety and stabilization it's like then you have an entire population of people that know oh we're all looking out for one another and that's like a nice healthy blend of capitalism and socialism right it's like we're entrepreneurial we love to go make money we love to like push change we love to like have nice things Mm -hmm. but hey I also give a shit about you Mm -hmm. and I like that you give a shit about me which is also interesting because that's actually what the United States military is founded on right like my dad will tell you the military is the most uh what's the word that he uses is like the most um uh diverse I guess um diversity supportive organization on the planet and you know there's a lot of controversy around that statement but he's like you know what when you're in theater the guy next to you if you think he's gay or the guy next to you is black and you're white or he speaks Spanish and you speak whatever nobody cares because you're all in it together and your only mission is to make sure that everybody gets through you know, because there is an understanding that the group, the individual will be stronger when it's part of a, of, of a group. And that everyone has that mindset. Right. Like, you don't get to go into combat and be like, oh, I don't like your skin color. Yeah. You can maybe hold that belief somewhere inside, but, like, that filter drops because you, you, you are interdependent into, you on really each other. You really need each other. Yeah. And it's the same thing. Switzerland's a little bit different. It's like a neutral country where it's non-combat. But there's still that sense of like, well, let's just sort of see what happens when we help each other out, and then how do we all benefit from that? And you only benefit because you have a population of people who are 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 coming from wellness and not illness. Yeah. Like, do you want a company full of sick people or a company full of healthy people? Yeah. So, um, I think we're getting kind of close to a time. Like, I'd say we should go another five or ten minutes, but. Um, there was something you said earlier that really made me draw a parallel to my own personal life um, about the uh, – you were talking about – let me think. We might have to edit this a little bit because I'm thinking back. Oh, yeah, you were talking about the, the collaboration between 
the medical physical provider and the mental health in the ketamine clinic where you work and how there is like a very strong trauma trauma informed integration between the two of you or everyone who works there and it made me think about how i like in my personal life again not being a clinician i'm not a trained clinician but by just educating myself through well my friendship with you but also like all the books I read podcasts I listen to like all the information that I have absorbed for myself throughout the past few years and how that has changed not just how I show up as a person in the world but like how I interpret the world to just have that filter on of understanding that there is the mind body soul connection that there is that trauma manifests itself in all these different various ways. What happens in the nervous system when we are undergoing a traumatic event or long-term stress, um, it really changes. I think that like it really, really changes your understanding of the world on both an individual and a systemic level. So oh, yeah. when we talk about mental health providers being overworked and underpaid and held hostage with Stockholm syndrome in a toxic system that is working against not just them, but also the population as a whole, the population who need these services. I really like my, my wish is that like, if we could have an entire system that had, that is educated with this kind of trauma lens or this filter and the understanding between what happens emotionally will actually express itself physically I think that would be like a game changer so one of the coolest experiences that I've had and it's definitely been trying for me at times um but in a way it's not um is no matter who comes into my office I have to work with them. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So unless I, I'm not able to treat whatever the presentation is. But through the last eight But you mean years, like from a demographic level or? You, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Demographics and um, cultural perspectives and political perspectives. Yeah. yeah. Right? So I can have a staunch Republican Trump supporter in my office, which I've had plenty. And I can have a, you know, super woke Democrat in my office, which I've had plenty. And no matter what trauma and the trauma lens and the trauma-informed lens and the lens of biology and the nervous system apply to everyone. And the, and the protocol applies and how we walk them through the healing process applies. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to let go of some of their base ideology but I think the thing that's so cool about it is it's like you take these two things that are extremely oppositional, like almost a Venn diagram where the circles don't touch, and now you have this space where there's this perfect overlap. Like, for example, in the field of psychedelics right now, with all of this legislation that we're trying to push, people who are showing up to push that legislation are extreme right Republicans who want to help you know, and advocate for the veteran and these extreme left Democrats who are showing up because they want to help, you know, the uh, black community in the United mm -hmm. States. 
but the protocol to help and healing is the same no mm. matter the ideology. And all of that stuff gets worked out through the healing process. So as people heal, their framework and the way that they see the world changes, and so some of that political stuff might shift. Mm-hmm. But the the bucket is the container is the same no matter what, which is so cool. It's like it's this like it's like a what is it like the sorting hats in Harry Potter? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like everybody that goes through the the trauma healing hat. It's 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 the same no matter what the belief system. Yeah. Does that make sense? You yeah, know what of I mean? course, because it's we're talking. Well, you peel off the skin and like crack open the skull like muscles and brain look the same regardless of your color sexual orientation or political views like everyone has a brain everyone has a vagus nerve yeah right it's like that. we're all operating in the same way on a physiological level i mean for the, the most baseline. part yes yeah. on the baseline yeah. yes um so yeah i think that makes a lot of sense and i think that something that we and now i'm kind of like leading this into a little bit of a different direction but something that you and I talk about every now and again is the concept of like spiritual poverty how a lack of uh spiritual connection I don't want to call it belief but just like a connection to something that is slightly bigger than just my own individual experience how a lack of sense of connectedness has a direct impact on your compassion, your empathy, and essentially like your health. And this is not, you know, this is not from a religious point of view at all. I am not, I'm not a believer in organized religion, but I really think that what you're talking about when you're undergoing a healing process and you make that kind of reconnection to yourself that because that's essentially what happens when you heal trauma, right? Is that you go from being disembodied to being embodied. You go from having a disconnect between your brain, your emotions, your body, and like, and you make it whole again. Like you. Yeah. I mean, you know, I say this all the time. It's like everyone's, you know, the whole shooting thing is just, I can't, but you know, a self-loving person doesn't want to hurt anybody. Exactly. Hurt right. people hurt people. Right. And a self-loving person does not want to hurt anybody. And that is my very point. Like that is when we are spiritually poor, we are not feeling that kind of connection to other people because we're not feeling that connection to our inner selves. And then that manifests on a macro level as fuck you. It's just me. You're on your own. I'm not going to take care of anyone else. Which is so sad. Which is really sad. And I think that that is like what the system in the U.S. is experiencing. There is a spiritual poverty going on. And it manifests as this very, very unhealthy situation. And now we're just focusing on clinicians. We're not even talking about all the other groups of people out there. Um, I, I'll um, close with a story because we've got a couple minutes left. But... Um, I had this really awesome opportunity where I worked in the Peruvian jungle um, during the summer of 2013. And, God, that was such a weird time in my life. And then I flew home, and one of my... Was this when you ate termites? Yes, I ate live termites. <laughs> Scooped them out of the tree with my hands, stuck them in my mouth, and chewed them up as they were crawling around in there. It was so crazy. But I would do it again. Um <laughs> 
lot easier than other things I've been through. But um, uh, so I was down there and I was working in a shamanic culture um, and trying to rescue these people from American exploitation where their children were being exposed to mercury poisoning by way of like cleaning gold to be brought back to wow. here and across the world. Anyway, so devastating. And so um, what happened as a result of that is that became the birthplace for this really cool project with National Geographic, which became a local person here in the community being identified as, I believe, a National Geographic explorer, which meant National Geographic funded this project, which meant this uh, acquaintance and friend, John Cox, went and flew um, uh, was several of these um, men from this SAA Ha community up here to basically like do a ceremony with National Geographic and kick off this tour and this whole thing. And the weirdest thing happened ever. So the following year, it's all a blur. Um, a really dear friend of mine um, died very suddenly from a heart attack and was on life support for a week. And then the family had to pull him off of life support and uh we buried him air quotes buried him he actually was cremated but um and had this huge uh um memorial service for him and it's at a local meeting house here and outside is is this the largest um i believe it's a pen oak but i think they're called queen oaks and it's this tree that everybody goes to. It's a very special place um, for me and my family. And so I walk out of this, you know, this we're really sort of like burying this friend and saying goodbye to him. And standing under the tree, it was so weird, was John and one of the shaman from Peru that I had hmm. worked with in the jungle the year before. And I'm like... What is happening? Like I thought I was tripping. Like the Peruvian shaman is suddenly under the oak tree in Pennsylvania. At the exact moment that I'm walking out of the meeting house. I'm like, of course. So anyway, um, so I go up to him and I'm like, wow, my God. Like, you know, I'm overwhelmed and, and happy to see him there. And just like really like sweet timing after such a sad moment in life. And I said, so what do you think? Because this is a man who's probably never left his immediate community from what I know has never left the country of Peru, has never been on an airplane, and now at this stage in his life has left Peru, been on an airplane, and has now gone to Washington, D.C. and come to Chester County, Pennsylvania. And I say to him, I say, so what do you think so far? And he looks at me and he goes, the soul of your country is deeply wounded. Yeah, that's what he said. It's pretty damn accurate. Yeah. So um, then this is a guy who, like, really doesn't know anything of American culture and in that much time came to it. So on that note, uh, we're on a mission here at Build Your Practice and the Center for Change at Kennett Square and the Winden and Linda show and all the other things that we're trying to endeavor to do. And like J-Lo said, I'm just getting started. So yeah. Are you going to regulate your vegas nerve now from yeah, all the upsetness? Probably going <laughs> to I just had to write an article on it, and I was like, I didn't include punching something that I might today. <sighs> no, I'm not going to punch anything. I'm going to go breathe and move and maybe cry. But oh, I haven't cried in so long. Maybe I should cry sometimes. I haven't cried in, like, I can't even remember. Are right, we still everyone? recording? Well, we're done. Oh. <laughs>